have an old friend who's back with us, Isaiah Robertson. Why don't you come on up here, Isaiah? So, what an honor to have you. I'm sorry. We, yeah, your height on the on the the website was a lot smaller than actual real life. No, I'll get that. I'll get that for you. Um, so, I think we first met through Ant Campaign, right? We met through Ant Campaign. Yeah. Had a barbecue together and all that. Miriam together. Uh -huh. Yeah, we've been functioning ever since. I love it. Yeah. I love it. So um, I have a ton of respect for Isaiah, um, for his family. They moved out here to LA um, for the calling of ministry and have been seeking to follow the Lord uh, through the ups and downs of life and ministry. And I've got to see his character, his family's character. He's a trustworthy man of God, and I'm eager to sit under him kicking off the series for us, so thanks for being here with us. I'd love to pray for you. Yeah. That's good. Speak please, please. Holy Spirit, will you come now? Will you come and fill us and fill this space with the glory of Jesus? We all need to see him this morning. We need to know him and his majesty and his power that he's worth living for and following. Um, that you hold the keys of life so when you teach us to pray a little bit more through uh, the words that you will speak through Isaiah, give them your words for us. Holy Spirit, give us tender, soft hearts. Tear down the walls uh, that we lift up in our everyday lives and give us sensitivity to your spirit and give us transformation by your power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Yes, of course. Can we put our hands together and pass it down? Uh, I love him so much. Uh, he is a Seahawks fan, <laughs> so I'll have to forgive Woo! him for that. And whoever just wooed, I'll forgive you for that. <laughs> well, the Lord, but not your team. Um, and it's apropos that we are talking about prayer this morning, because my Lakers are going to need a lot of it. <laughs> Uh, 
whatever version you have should give us the same place as long as it's not the Book of Mormon or the New World Translation. <laughs> All right, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. Shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. We're going to put a pin in there right in verse, right in verse 8. So this, this portion of Matthew's Gospel is embedded in what's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is actually a collection of sayings preached by Jesus, beginning in Matthew chapter 5 and ending in Matthew chapter 7. The Sermon on the Mount is actually Jesus' longest and most detailed teaching recorded in the Gospels. It covers several different and important topics. And if I was to summarize uh, the Sermon on the Mount in a single sentence, it would be something like, uh, it's about how to live a life that is dedicated to and pleasing to God, free from hypocrisy, full of love and grace, and full of wisdom and discernment. Alright, so that's that's a summary of the Sermon on the Mount in an extremely tiny nutshell. In the portion of the sermon that we just read, Jesus is instructing his disciples on how to pray. In the previous verses, verses 1 through 4, Jesus instructs his disciples on how to give. Uh, implied in Jesus' instructions on how to give and how to pray is the reality that Jesus cares about how his followers give and pray. All right? um, his disciples, his followers, did not have the luxury to give or pray in a way that ignored Jesus' lordship. They were to give and pray not according to cultural standards, not according to popular religious practice, not even according to traditional ways of giving and praying, they were to give and pray the way their master prescribed. That's important because we kind of live in like a like an anything goes culture, right? Even spiritually, right? Like we, we have people that like when it comes to prayer, um, you know, they kind of feel like they can pray to deliver whatever, right? But the reality is, is that as followers of Christ, we're to submit our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We also have to acknowledge the reality that the Lord cares about everything. Like, the Lord cares about our lives exhaustively. And so as disciples of Christ, we have to understand that He lays claim over everything that we do, every action that we take, even giving and praying. And so, in verse 5, Jesus begins by saying, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, the, the, the Jewish custom was to pray standing with outstretched and uplifted 
see King Solomon exemplifying this back in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. It says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel. He lifted his hands toward heaven. So this was a common posture of prayer. But the text identifies some people that engage in this very common posture of prayer as hypocrites. And Jesus didn't want the disciples to be like those hypocrites. The hypocrites would have been Pharisees, Jews in Jesus' day that would have used prayer at the synagogue during public time of prayer or, or prayer uh, on the street at appointed times of prayer as an opportunity to garner the attention of people. These hypocrites did not pray out of sincere devotion to God. They didn't pray out of a desire to commune with God. They, they, they prayed essentially to flaunt their religiosity and parade their own sense of spiritual superiority. Their goal was not to honor God. Their goal was not to worship God. Their goal, as the text indicates, was to be noticed by people. And this brings up an interesting point about prayer that I need to emphasize because the text sort of leads me to do so. And, and it's this, prayer must be a time to express and not impress. I grew up in church. I've seen a lot. I've seen deacons and other people get up and pray these long prayers full of flowery language and King James Version English. I mean, how many of you guys grew up in church? All right, if you grew up in like the Baptist church, then you know that somebody will get up and say, Oh God, our Father and Lord and Savior, most magnificent and auspiciously. Like all these words. And you're sitting there at age six, like what in the world are you talking about? All right? And after they're done praying, people are like ooing and aahing and applauding. And they take their seat and they feel accomplished. They feel like they've just done something wonderful because that, 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 that's the heart of somebody that uses prayer to impress. But, but prayer is a time to express and not to impress. Prayer is a time to express our worship to God. Think about it. When we pray, we are communicating with the king of all creation. Now, I imagine that if you got a phone call from the president, regardless of how you feel about the president, you'd probably be pretty honored that regardless of whether you have a D or an R or an I in front of your name, you'd probably feel pretty honored that the president would give you audience, right? Well, we're talking about the God of the universe that created human mouths and created human bodies, the, the God of the universe that stepped out into nothing, said, let there be, and everything came into existence. Prayer is the awesome opportunity that we get as lowly creatures to commune with the almighty and sovereign God of the universe. So you better believe that when we pray, a huge component of prayer is worship to God. Pausing. Before we ask for an A or a new car 
or more money, pausing and saying, God, I just want to tell you how amazing you are. I just want to tell you how good you are. I just want to tell you that you're, you're worthy of my life. You're worthy of, of, of me living in such a way that's, that's poured out for the gospel. You're holy, you're righteous, you're amazing. Prayer is a time to express your worship to God. But then prayer is also a time to express your petition for others. Prayer is also a time to think about the marginalized. Prayer is also a time to think about those that are less fortunate, those that uh, are struggling, those that are sick, those that are being abused, those that are, are hurting. Right? Prayer is also a time to pause and say, Lord, you're worthy to be praised, but you also care. You care about my aunt, my sister, my brother. You care about my neighbor. You care about the person in ICU right now. You care about human flourishing. So I'm going to take this opportunity to pray and express on behalf of others needs, desires, and wants that they may have. Prayer is also an opportunity after you worship God and after you make petition for others. Prayer is also a wonderful opportunity to express supplications for yourself. It's also an opportunity to say, oh Lord, I'm standing in the need of prayer as well. I need, a, I need a, a closer walk with you. Lord, I need you to continue to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. I need you to help me. I need you to make me new, make me righteous, right? So, so again, prayer is a time to express and not to impress. And if your desire during the prayer moment is to impress. That's why, that's why honestly, praying with the mic is, is, a, is a potentially dicey endeavor. Because when you pray with the mic in front of people, all right, the, the human heart is an idol factory. And, and, you, and, you, and you open up your eye, right, and you start looking at people like, yeah, brother, pray, yes! All right, I'll put you grow up in a Pentecostal church. All right, all of a sudden, you, you're like, oh, man, I'm, I'm up here praying that people are getting saved. I'm the man, right? Then that's when you cross the line and you become like the hypocrites. Mentioned in verse 5. It says, They love to stand and pray in the synagogues in street corners that they may be seen by others. And then Jesus says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Their reward was to be seen and lauded by people. Their reward was to be regarded as holy and spiritual before people. And, and they received that. There were people that saw these, these, these religious men praying publicly, ostentatiously, and, 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 and they thought, man, these guys are spiritual super saints. Like, these guys are holding it down for Yahweh, like, really, really a whole lot but, but that was the extent of their reward. And hear me, what, what, what saddens me about this text is, is the reality that it's sad to be celebrated by men, yet rejected by the Master. A greater reward, family, than the applause of people is being able to have an audience with God. A greater reward than hearing people say well done is hearing God say well done. A greater reward than being embraced by people 
is being embraced by God. But yet, these hypocritical religious men settled for the reward of human applause. And in the scope of things, that is a paltry, poor reward in light of eternity. I don't want to be celebrated by everybody. And then on that day that I stand before the Lord, have the Lord say to me, depart, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. That would be a horrible thing. Verse 6, Jesus continues. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, in Jesus' day, um, religious Jews had houses uh, that were that came with places where they would go off and have secret devotion. A lot of times it would happen sometimes on the roof or the upper room. And in the KJV, in the King James Version, uh, verse 6 is actually rendered differently. The King James Version says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which is in secret shall reward you openly. And it's from verse 6 in the King James Version that many people have created what's called a prayer closet. Right? There's actually a, a movie back in the day that my wife loves called War Room. Yeah? Alright? Now, a prayer closet, for those of you guys who don't know, because some of you guys are looking like, uh, I don't get it. It's a space that's typically secluded within the home. could be a literal closet. And this space is, is utilized uh, just for private prayer. My wife actually has a prayer closet. I'm telling you, man, if you go into a prayer closet, it's like, it's like you're getting daps from Jesus. Her prayer closet is amazing. You can feel the spirit of the Lord when you go into a prayer closet. I don't too much go into a prayer closet because, you know, I, I know that I'm not worthy. Right? My wife, like, she loves the Lord, and I love the Lord too, but not on her level. So it's like, you know, step into a prayer closet, and it's like, I, I love your wife, but I'm about to smite you. So I don't, I don't go into a prayer closet. But, but Jesus' words in verse 6, to go into your room or your closet and shut the door, isn't necessarily uh, him giving a mandate to create a prayer closet. All right? Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, all right? but it's more so Jesus emphasizing that it's far better to practice prayer in seclusion and isolation than it is to practice it as the hypocrites did publicly for the gawks and approval of people. Jesus himself, our master, our Savior, our Lord, our model, actually spent time secluded in prayer. Luke 5.16 says this, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 14.23 says this, and when he had sent the multitudes away, Jesus went up into a high mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. The implication is that Jesus wants you to have time of private Secluded prayer, because prayer, hear me, should be a time you bear your heart and your soul before the Lord. If you're praying to impress, your prayers will always be service. If you're praying to impress, your prayers will always be superficial, they'll be, they'll be light, right? Because the goal is, is, is not to really get in God's face 
and experience in, in intimacy with him. The goal is to win the applause of people. But when you pray to express, you'll go to God with your hurts. You'll go to God with your fears. You'll go to God with, with your secret sins that you may not tell anybody else, but, but you go to God boldly and you commune with him. You go to God with your insecurities. He, he is our father, right? And as our father, he desires to have an intimate relationship with us, and that includes our time of prayer and communion with him. If you're not being real with God, your father, then who, who are you being real with? If you don't see prayer as an opportunity to take off the mask and to bear your soul and to say things to him that you may never say to your mother, father, sister, or brother, then ultimately what is the point? Prayer is an awesome opportunity not just to worship God and pray for others, but prayer is an awesome opportunity to come before God in seclusion and privacy and say, Lord, I'm hurt. I'm wounded. I'm having a hard time forgiving this person. I know you call me to forgive this person, but, but, but it's really difficult. Prayer is that rare moment where you can talk to somebody that you, that you know for sure we're not, will not bear your secrets and tell everybody what you said. But you can go to God in confidence. And seclusion is the key, which means, hear me, and I know this is hard. Oh, man, I'm in front of a bunch of Gen Z's. Leave your cell phone outside yeah. of that moment. Yeah. Right? Leave your cell phone somewhere on the counter. Right? I'll split it on do not disturb. Come on now. <laughs> you take it in there with you. You're going to Lord, um, I thank you for this day. Uh, oh, Bobby just takes me. I, I, okay. And you, and you get distracted, right? This is an opportunity to have private prayer in a way where you bear your soul and your heart before your Father and allow Him to heal you. See, here's the awesome thing, right? We, we often hear, we hear this cliche, church is a hospital. I don't know if you've heard that cliche. How many of you guys have heard that cliche? Church is a hospital. Church is a hospital. Church is a hospital. And it's true. And it's true. But, but, but here's one thing that we have to realize. You want to know what happens when you go to the hospital? When you see the physician, the physician will ask, What's wrong? Where does it hurt? And what do you have to do? You have to accurately convey to the physician what's wrong, where it's hurting, what the problem has been. It's the same thing in prayer. You have a God that desires to heal you. You have a God that wants to see you flourish. You have a God that wants your good, and he doesn't want evil for you. But oftentimes, it's in the prayer moment that he'll say to us through his spirit, what's wrong? Where does it hurt? And that's our opportunity to say, God, here it is. Take it. It's yours. Do what only you can do. Jesus continues in verse 7. And he says, and when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. So, Jesus is referring to this, this, this practice of using a multiplicity of words without meaning. 
just words uttered without any seriousness. Words uttered haplessly, without reverence for God, without any sincerity or faith. Um, I know people that, that, that grew up apostolic. Apostolic is a Pentecostal brand of Christianity that has some wonky doctrine around the Trinity, um, uh, some wonky doctrine around salvation by faith. I mean, they, they believe in what's called baptismal regeneration. They believe in Japanese baptism. Just, just some wonky, wonky theology. Uh, but, but, but I digress. Um, one of the things that, that some of my you know, Pentecostal friends told me is that, like, when they answer the altar call to get saved, they've got to they got like speak in tongues, like right then and there, right? Like that, they, they don't speak in tongues, and they they haven't gotten saved. And as they're you know kind of going through this this process of speaking in tongues, the person that's trying to quote unquote fill them with the Spirit will tell them just say Jesus over and over again, just say Jesus over and over again. So the person, just imagine, is standing up at the altar, trying to get saved, and they're going, Jesus, 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 over and over and over again, thinking that that's supposed to conjure some type of favor from the Spirit to where they begin to speak in tongues. That's an example of vain repetition. As a matter of fact, one of my friends told me that they got so tired of going through the motions they just got kind of, kind of said, Jesus, 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 Shiro Honda. And they're like, there it is, that's tongues. Well, really, he just said, Shiro Honda, really quick. And they thought that that was tongues. Untie my bow tie. Oh, so that's okay. <laughs> this is the type of stuff that Jesus is referring to, right? Prayer that, that, that is just uttering words mindlessly, without meaning. And this actually happened with the prophets of Baal. All right? The prophets of Baal, if you read uh, 1 Kings 18 26, it says, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. These are, these, are, these are prophets of a false idol. And this is what they said over and over again from morning until noon, O Baal, answer us. Over and over and over and over again. And it was all vain. It was all for nothing. And there was no voice and no one answered. So when we when we pray, it, 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 it's not about using words repetitiously, thinking that there's some spiritual power in the words that you use. And this is something particularly that I have to that I have to say to my friends that 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 potentially come out of Roman Catholicism. Because if you come out of Roman Catholicism, you were taught to pray the rosary. And, and, and for a lot of people that come out of Roman Catholicism, uh, there's this tendency to kind of view prayer as this sort of rote mundane practice where you just kind of say these words and you know you say some Hail Marys and, 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 and you've done your duty. No. Prayer's got to be more significant than that. Prayer's got to be more meaningful than that. Jesus continues in verse 8. He says, do not be like them. For your Father knows what you have need before you ask Him. Now, one of the reasons why we don't have to use a multiplicity of words when we pray is because God is sovereign. And so He knows 
what you're what you need before you ask. Right. So there's no need to, Lord, I need this, I need that, I need help, I need clothes, I need no. The Lord knows what you need before you pray. So that eliminates the need to be unnecessarily worried. And now I have to answer a question in, in, in light of what I just said because I see some of you thinking. Some of you are like, okay, Pastor Isaiah, um, if the Lord knows what you have need of before you pray, why pray? Like, he already knows. Like, what's the point? Why would anybody tell you three reasons why you ought to pray, even though God is sovereign and God is omniscient? And he already knows what you need before you ask him. As I mentioned before, number one, prayer gives us an awesome opportunity to worship God. I'm going to talk about this next Sunday. Jesus, in what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, which is really the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is more like in, in, in John 17, where Jesus is actually praying to the Father. All right? the, what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer is really for the benefit of the disciples, so they can learn. But, but, but Jesus starts out by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed is holy. So Jesus is, is saying, look, here's the model. Make sure you, 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 you express the holiness, the wonder, the majesty of God as you pray. Make sure you, 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 you utilize the prayer moment to articulate how amazing and transcendent God is. But number two, in prayer, we acknowledge our dependence on the Lord. When you pray sincerely, you're going to be humble. Because the act of prayer is an acknowledgement that you don't have it all figured out. The act of prayer implies you're not your own Savior. You can't help yourself. You need divine assistance. And when you come before the Lord, what you're applying in the act itself is that you're a needy creature and you, and you need God's intervention for all of life. Alright? And so that's beautiful news. Because the human heart naturally bends toward pride and arrogance. The human heart naturally bends on, bends toward this notion of self-sufficiency. Right? We're the captain of our own souls, the captain of our own ships. But as Christians, we don't have that option. Prayer, the very act of prayer, is an acknowledgement that you need God every single step of the way. You need God every single moment of the day. And then thirdly and finally, God has chosen to use prayer as a means to bring about his purposes. God is sovereign. Right? He's in control by comprehensive sovereign. However, our sovereign God ordains the means as well as the end. So there are some things that God will only do through prayer. There are some situations that God will only get involved in through prayer. This is why you have scriptures like in the, in the book of James where, where the apostle James says, you have not because you ask not. This is why you have scriptures where, where the apostle James says the, the fervent, effectual prayers of the righteous availeth much because God ordains prayer 
as the means to accomplish his will on this earth. So the, the good news is that as you engage in prayer, even though he knows what you ask, what you need before you ask, he, he may ordain that you pray about what he knows you need in order to get what he's already provided for you. And the good news is that when, when, when we pray, when we pray for others, when we pray for ourselves, God, we're, we're involved in an activity that brings about God's will on this earth. And so, you know, at the end of the day, guys, we have a choice. Right? We have a choice to go back and say, you know what? Everything that God said it was hard. Man, I sure do love the applause of people. I sure do love people thinking I'm awesome. I love when I'm in my little prayer group with my friends and, and they can't wait to get to me to pray. Or you have the option to say, you know what? I'm going to come to the Lord completely exposed. I'm going to come to the Lord. I'm going to bear my heart. I'm going to see prayer as an opportunity to worship Him. To see prayer as an opportunity to acknowledge His transcendence and holiness. I'm going to see prayer as an opportunity to pray for the broken, for the wounded, for the marginalized, for people that don't have the same privileges and opportunities I have for the sick. I'm also going to see prayer as an opportunity to get involved in what God is doing on this earth, in my neighborhood, on my campus. And that's how we avoid praying like this. So, that's my talk today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to now. <laughs> I'm going to ask Devin if he'll come up and, and take it from here. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Oh, you said you wanted to, you wanted to pray. I was just about to say, will you pray for us? Yes, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Turn the mic off. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. It's eternal. It's immutable. We're grateful for how you sent your son Jesus to instruct his followers in the first century and to instruct his followers today in the 21st century on how to pray. Lord, we, we want to avoid religious hypocrisy at all costs. We want a real, thriving relationship with you, complete with communication that is vibrant. And so, Father God, I pray that we would take what your son Jesus said in these verses and, and, and shape our hearts in such a way that we'll see prayer not as an opportunity to perform, not as an obligation to fulfill, but we'll see it as an opportunity to meet with you, to commune with you, to love on you, to pray for others, and to get involved in what you're doing on this earth. Father, I, I ask that you would make us doers of your word and not hearers only. And I pray that, that from this moment forward, we will forever be in awe of the privilege that we have to talk with you, to communicate with you, 
the sovereign, holy God of the universe. So we thank you for this time. We ask you to bless us. 